Now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. Absolutely fantastic! Hello and welcome to Box to Box, the show that is everything football. You're with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley to run the rule over the past week in the world game. First edition news with Willem van Dander and shortly, and of course our former ITN journo turned pundit Derek Dyson will be joining us throughout the show. Our first up, it's a long overdue chat about the premium football competition in the Asian region, and I speak of course of the J-League, which we'll take a deep dive into with long-term friend of the pod, the Asian game Scott McIntyre. Off the back of Ange Postacoglu's iconic title-winning tenure at Yokohama F Marinos, which looks better every day, Kevin Musket now chasing back-to-back titles at the same club, and of course Peter Kamal at FC Tokyo. The Australian influence runs deep, so we'll get the latest from Scott embedded in Japan as he is. Then, it's not often we describe Liverpool as overachieving, but after crashing out of the top four last season and as a consequence missing Champions League football, there was a big question mark over Jurgen Klopp's men going into the current season. And with Saudi money chasing the club's talisman, Mo Salah, there were plenty of pundits willing to scratch the Reds from title contention. Four games in, they're undefeated and looking like a genuine threat. We'll talk for the first time with the Athletics' Kiva O'Neill about her thoughts on what's going on down at Anfield. Edge, bumper show again. You were up all night watching football, sending us texts. We got 20 messages from you um, having uh, watched uh, your gunners get out of jail. Uh, Big week in football, as it always is. Hello, Rob and listeners. uh, Wherever you're listening to our podcast from, uh, greetings to you. Yeah, um, after the post-Women's World Cup, the major professional Leagues burst back into action, didn't they? I actually uh, was drawn to uh, Real Madrid in Spain, Rob. The newly renovated Bernabeu had its first home match. One billion euros they spent on that renovation. Not a bad little uh, touch-up. And it looked like it was heaving. They put a lid on it and um, renovated everything. There's new seats in it, a whole new um, hospitality, entertaining areas, bigger capacity, and the Jude Bellingham winner. Saw them lift the lid off that uh, against Getafe. I just was drawn to that. If you get a chance, mm. listeners, just get online and have a look at the new Bernabeu. It is unbelievable. And what about the Premier League? You mentioned it. Arsenal, Man City, Liverpool, Tottenham, West Ham. Wow, they've all started the season on fire. And uh, it's looking pretty exciting. But it is, uh, Willem, isn't it? It's a bit like uh, Manchester City. Catch me if you can, isn't it? A little bit edge. Lucky I wasn't planning on getting up to watch that match before work or those texts would have become spoilers, but we'll let that one go through to the keeper there, Rob. Um, I want to get the grubby sort of story out of the way early, just the Luis Rubiales update, and then it is into plenty of on-pitch action. He remains president of Spain's Football Federation, although governmental pressure to remove him has intensified. On Friday, a Spanish governmental panel opened a formal case against him, which will rule on whether his World Cup final conduct abused his authority or damaged the reputation of Spain at a sporting event. For his part, Rubiales has broken a week-long silence in claiming to be the victim of a smear campaign. His mother, Angeles Beha, was earlier released from hospital following a three-day hunger strike protesting criticism of her son. Rob, probably not a great deal to add beyond what we've said in the past couple of editions of the show, except for the hunger strike, which is a pretty unsavoury and sad sideshow which has come to an end. Yeah, it, um, it, it is unfortunate. It was uh, a little weird even um, that, that that became a part of the narrative. But look, I, I don't feel like just by uh, forcing the issue on the uh, the government and footballing bodies um, that uh, that he's going to get off the hook. It feels like eventually he will um, end up... Um, uh, leaving his his role, but uh, Derek, have you ever seen anything like this before? Somebody just determined to hang on for grim death, um, despite the, the 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 tsunami of opposition against them. Yeah, I'm trying to think of a similar example. I mean, I think the problem is the initial reaction then leads to the next reaction, to so the next reaction, and then all of a sudden you become more and more entrenched in your position. You just feel like if at the very start he'd just thrown his hands up and said something along the lines of you know I didn't you know it was obviously I recognized I made a mistake and I apologize and I'm going to go and seek some education and become a better person or whatever it is I I think he would still have his job but instead because he's been you know deflecting and deflecting and deflecting it just makes it harder and harder and harder and yeah and I honestly don't know what is still keeping him in the job but I think 
that illustrates part of the problem that he feels like he can continue and I'm sure despite some of the platitudes that have been made I think he probably thinks in his own mind I didn't do anything wrong I was caught up in the moment I was celebrating with one of the, the women and all of a sudden I'm now the sting of some woke mafia that's exactly how he will perceive it but I agree with you I don't see how he gets out of it from here. Edge, did you have comment? The Spanish government looking to be the ones to remove him as opposed to FIFA, where he is provisionally banned for 90 days, but they want to be the ones to drive through the change. Look, it's all been spoken about, hasn't it? Um, he's hanging on when everybody in the world wants him to resign and so we can all you know, put this uh, sorry state of affairs behind us. I think that's the, the reality. To the Premier League, Asan Min Hattrick has helped Tottenham to a 5-2 win over Burnley at Turf 4. Here is New Spurs captain Son speaking of his manager, Ange Postacoglu. I'm so grateful that, uh, that I'm working with him and I learned so many things as a player, but also as a human being. And it's been a fantastic journey until, until now. But I think in the future, I think we will have more fun to work together. So I will do everything what he asks because he's giving so much good uh, information to us as a, as a human, as a, as a manager. So... We are very, very happy that working with him. So, and he also, hopefully, he's he's happy, happy as well to having this uh, this group of players. So, but I think players should take a more responsibility to make him happy, and then this club make a more moving forward. In other big results, Liverpool enjoyed a clinical 3-0 win over Aston Villa. Chelsea suffered a 1-0 loss to Nottingham Forest and Arsenal outlasted Manchester United to score twice in injury time and prevail 3-1. Derek, please talk to me about uh, Declan Rice, who we spoke uh, about for the bulk of the off-season, £105 million in the door. And on this occasion, we saw why. Yeah, I mean, everyone was obviously going to gravitate um, to that moment. Uh, Arsenal have made a history or reputation in the last... uh, 12 months to 18 months of getting these late winners in that goal at the Emirates Stadium. I know that Rob is not just in our group WhatsApp, but in the top of the show has hung a little ball out in the corridor of uncertainty, hoping for either Edge or uh, myself to to nibble uh, at it, uh, sort of saying it was a um, a fluky result for, for Arsenal. Um, that's, 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 that's certainly the... Uh, Certainly the view of Ten Hag after the game, he said that he thought Manchester United played extremely well and he was certainly uh, very um, unhappy with some of the refereeing decisions that uh, he felt cost Manchester United. Uh, But yeah, look, Rice is obviously a player that Arsenal will help. I mean, primarily, I think we wanted him as a defensive player. It's, you know, a lot of people saying since Vieira, Gilberto, those kinds of players left the squad that we hadn't really had this guy sitting in the middle of the pitch like that shielding the defence but we all know he's got a threat from goal he hits a, a pure strike you know yes there was a bit of fortune with the deflection but I actually thought his control uh, to get that ball down off his chest and into a position to volley it was excellent so I was um, busy dreaming of something else when that goal went in but I'm glad seeing the volley of emojis from Edge that, that at least one of us uh, celebrated uh, the win. Oh, well, yeah, well and truly did. It was a lot of fun watching that game because there was big segments of the game where Arsenal had their backs to the wall. But uh, Rob sort of, when he saw all my emojis, Rob watched the three-minute highlights in the morning and came to the conclusion that Arsenal were lucky. Derek? I'm ganged up and even Adam could probably, who's Adam Maloney, who's panelling and editing this program, could just sort of just take my bits out if you wanted to because, uh, you know, the three of you are are a force to be reckoned with. But the reality of it was that... um, you didn't take your chances in the first half, and uh, and the I mean, look to be fair, Declan Rice's uh, shot was uh, you know pure class, and uh, and that's what he was bought for, and that's what he did, and uh, you know, big players step up in big moments, and he's a big player, and it was a big moment, and um, and he turned the game around, but uh, but some of those line ball decisions, uh, what was that uh, that um, that goal? It's that a game was of football, Rob. Uh, sorry, it's a game of football, and offside goals happen. <laughs> <laughs> Just the way it is. All right, but, uh, Arsenal got the job done. They won three one. Your mob Liverpool were looking good. I'll tell mm. you what, the season's uh, well and truly taking shape. And I know Willem has got more news. But uh, next week there's also a massive game for West Ham. They they host Manchester City. Uh, the first time uh, you know these sort of top teams are, are squaring off against each other. Arsenal's had a pretty good run. They play Everton 
next uh, match day. Um, so yeah, there's a lot, long way to go, obviously, but um, yeah, it, it's exciting the the way the season started. To domestic matters, Graham Arnold will remain Socceroos manager after turning down an approach from Hibernian to take over their vacant managerial role, uh, an approach which he labelled an honour. Arnold confirmed he's spoken to Hibs as he named five debutants in a squad of 23 to play Mexico in Dallas this Sunday. That squad includes Sam Silvera, Cam Burgess and Tom Glover. The Scottish press and bookies, meanwhile, have Nick Montgomery as the new favourite for that Hibernian role, with it reported the Mariners have been asked to name their price and edge. That would be a perfect step Back to Europe uh, for Monty, the first time in his managerial career. Uh, from there, he's only one hop or two from uh, from Sheffield United, but that seems the right fit. Well, it's just incredible that um, there is um, such a focus on Australian coaches. Last week, we talked about the Australian coaches in Japan, but it's obviously the impact of Ange Postacoglu is that the, the entire uh, reputation of Australian football has increased, and who would have thought that uh, an SBL club, uh, and Hibernian's not a small one, they're one of the be- the better ones, would be looking to Australia's home shores for its replacement coach. It just just unheard of stuff uh, five, six, seven years ago. So uh, Nick Montgomery, uh, he'll be successful too, won't he? Because we know what he was able to do at Central Coast with limited resources. And uh, if he gets the job, it'll be someone to watch for sure. He does have a fair profile over there, Rob, due to his career with uh, with Sheffield uh, United. The Sam Silvera inclusion in the Socceroos, one of many, many talented players to come through in the past five or so years, but he did look to have really lost his way uh, when he went over to Portugal via the Newcastle Jets. He was back at the Jets, didn't quite get it going there, but it is really due to Montgomery and the Mariners and his own hard work and his own sort of uh, professional application. But it, yeah, it is in large part due to, to Montgomery and the Central Coast uh, that you know another player is getting the absolute best out of themselves and now into the national team when it certainly didn't look the case 18 months ago. Yeah, oh, I'm going to expand a little on this uh, in stoppage time, but um, yeah, I mean, going obviously to Mexico, the next World Cup, um, uh, partly played in Mexico, uh, getting a, a sense of what the, the the white heat of uh, of, of, a, of a domestic side um, playing in uh, in a volatile atmosphere. Um, yeah, we'll talk about it uh, in stoppage time at, at length. To the Australia Cup, Melbourne Knights have reached the quarterfinals for the first time, and will play fellow Victorians Heidelberg at Summer Street on Thursday, September 14. Also reaching the quarterfinals for the first time are South Australia's Metro Stars, who defeated Interlions 1-0 and now host Melbourne City. In the other quarterfinals, Brisbane Raw will play Western Sydney. The Wanderers putting five past Adelaide United in the round of 16 and Sydney FC to meet Western United. So edge the Burgers, 3-0 over Mount Druitt Town. That puts them into the last eight for the fourth time. But this has been the, uh, the sticking point throughout their history. They've never gone uh, beyond here. Yes, Willem, Melbourne Knights and Heidelberg United, they've got an opportunity to get into a semi-final. The Burgers uh, and and the Knights have never done that before. That would be a remarkable achievement and a big um, feather in the cap of uh, one of those two traditional former NSL powerhouses. Soccer is central for the Green and Gold Army. We welcome Matildas back into the fold from next week, but we have just had the final club hitouts before the Mexico friendly. Uh, Rob, some speculation that the form of Mass Luongo at Ipswich Town might warrant a recall, but in the end, Arnold stuck with his sort of recent mantra of backing the future. Pretty young midfield, Irvine, the senior man there, but Bacchus, Devlin, John Rowe, McGree, Metcalf, O'Neill. Yeah, look, um, he's been right so far and he got us to the World Cup and got us into the knockout rounds. Uh, you've got to keep on bringing these players through. We criticised uh, Tony Gustafsson for a while there for not bringing young players in and uh, and not playing them. Um, so uh, uh, you can't have your cake and eat it too with these things. So uh, if Maslawonga keeps on playing at the highest level and keeps on putting out um, performances of the level that he has been, then, uh, then he'll, you know, he'll knock the door down. But I think um, so far, Air Jani has, um, has has made the right call, so I'm prepared to back him on this one. Obviously, a small squad because it's only one match. But interestingly, what I found was interesting was the players that are not there uh, from the last time the soccer squad was there. These players aren't there: Gauchi, Joel King, Jani Stensis, Jordan Boss, uh, Aiden Rustic. Alex Robertson, Jamie McLaren, and Brendan Barillo. And there's also from the World Cup squad, no Goodwin. Quoll, Cummins, Sainsbury, Mabil, and Tilio. So um, when you talk about Mass Luongo in the scope of all of those names, it, it, it's going to be hard for Mass to get back in. 
No doubt about it, regardless of how well he plays. A couple of uh, performances around the traps. All three of Martin Boyle, Lewis Miller, and Jimmy Jago played 90 minutes as Hibernian, managerless, as we know, defeated Aberdeen 2-0 for their first win of the season. Adam LaFondra on the score sheet, by the way, there. Full matches for Mitch Langerak and Thomas Deng in Japan, both playing in one-all draws. And in India, a trio of Aussies have lifted silverware. Dimitri Petratos's goal, the uh, the only one in the match has seen Mohan Bagan win the Duran Cup, and that side also featured Jason Cummings and Brendan Hamill. Rob, we'll, uh, we'll roll into a little bit more J-League stuff with Scott McIntyre shortly. Okay, we'll do that. Well, well done, uh, Willem. Uh, great start. And uh, speaking of Scott McIntyre, we haven't spoken to Scotty for a little while. Uh, lives in Japan, follows the J-League very closely, covered the Women's World Cup, funnily enough, from Japan uh, for the, uh, the, the various uh, FIFA websites that... Um, that we read throughout the course of the tournament, and Scott's copy is always great. But uh, what's better with Scott is when you have a chat to him, and we're going to do that next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse, great savings every day, and Hoyt's herbs and spices, changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. The J-League is nearing the completion of another enthralling season, and with eight weeks to go, we're no nearer to knowing who will come away with the spoils. As has become the norm in recent seasons, there are numerous Aussies sprinkled across the pitches and touchlines of the league, and to bring us up to speed, it's a big welcome back to a long-time friend of the show, Scott McIntyre of the Asian Game. G'day, Scott. How are you, mate? Afternoon, guys. Yeah, happy happy to be back on deck. I'm happy to see that your show's um, still going, Japanese football still going, the world's moved on from this pandemic uh, business, and here we are. Life and football and box-to-box most certainly do roll on. Kevin Musket and Yokohama F. Marinos were rolling along uh, nicely until the weekend. They're chasing back-to-back titles and had letters recently as a couple of days ago, but a 2-0 loss to 16th-placed Kashiwa Reysol, uh, as well as Vissel Kobe's win over Kyoto Sanger has seen them now two points in arrears of Kobe. What's happened there? Yeah, Kobe, who just um, announced the signing of uh, Juan Mata yesterday as well, actually. So... um... It's not all about Saudi Arabia. You know, I think Japan's still hanging on with a few of these signings. But actually, on that topic, I actually think that um, uh, their, their leading striker, actually, uh, at, at Marinos, where, where Muscat is, uh, is on his way to Saudi Arabia. So that could be another blow for them um, if, if he does indeed go. There's eight matches um, left in the season now. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's been a good season. It's, it's been competitive. And, and it looked um, for a long time that it might be just um, Corbe, who were bankrolled by, uh, you know, a fairly wealthy... Uh, individual, the guy who runs a kind of Amazon of Japan. I think I've mentioned this before. So they have a, a fair bit of money to spend and, and you know, they're finally coming good. Um, and yeah, it was neck and neck for a long time. With Mar- I mean, it still is with, with Marinos as well. Um, but the, the the pack below them, I think you could, you could probably, you know, push it all the way down to maybe seventh, Hiroshima in seventh, um, a club with a long-time Australian uh, influence as well. Um, I think they're not out of it. So yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a bit of a wobble. And and after the game, um, you know, Muskie said the same thing. They need to kind of get back to this form that they were in at the start of the summer. I think a, a few injuries have, have kind of hurt them. Um, absence is one of their Brazilian uh, wingers has been out the last couple of games. And, and they lost uh, one of their two central defenders, a, a really good kind of ball-playing uh, Japanese uh, guy has been in around the fringes of the national team for a while. He um, he's out long term as well. So those kind of things have um, have hurt them probably at the wrong wrong part of the season. But um, yeah, I, I think it's going to be thrilling, and I think it's probably not just those two uh, that are going to be involved in the title race. And then of course, what happens with the the Champions League um, as well when that obviously the the format and the the timing of that has shifted. So clubs at the end of the season here for the first time, you know, when they're pushing. Uh, you know, for title for league titles or or cups, and now having to balance those commitments, and of course, it's not centralised like it was in the last couple of years. We're back to home and away, so you know, it's um, it, it's long midweek travel. So yeah, and and uh, you know, Corbyn making this um, this signing. They also got a Hungarian uh, midfielder that they've signed recently as well. So I think you know they're trying to strengthen their squad maybe at the time when Marinos could be losing. Um, you know, some key players. So yeah, it, it's going to be thrilling, and, and I think it'll go right down to the wire. Pete Klamowski, 11 games into his tenure as manager of FC Tokyo. Nine of these have come in the league uh, for sort of middling returns. Four wins, three losses and two draws. How have you assessed, assessed his betting down period and what is his third Japanese club? Yeah, I think that's the correct term, betting down, because, um, you know, I mean, taking it over mid-season, it's, it, it's always difficult. But, but I think particularly a club, although... I mean, the coach that he took over from, um, a, a Spanish guy, um, uh, Albert Puig, is a, one of these, uh, you know, a Barcelona kind of um, types that came through the youth ra- um, the youth coaching ranks there. So they're not a million miles apart in terms of their philosophy, but the squad, I don't even know if it was built necessarily for him. You know, maybe it was built for the coaches 
um, previous to that. So, you know, you've got a couple of keepers at the club and not the kind of, um, you know, keepers. And when I, I say this in, in generalised terms, but, you know, it's the, it's the Ange uh, kind of tree, uh, you know, that we've seen with um, with Arthur Pappas, with Pete, with um, now, you know, the Al- Aloisi, with all these kind of guys that have um, worked in and around that. They, they share, you know, a lot of fundamental principles. And one of those is, yeah, keepers must be comfortable. So they don't have one of those at the club. They don't really have... Um, ball playing central defenders they don't have too many mobile midfielders um and they don't have um uh, yeah really many mobile options in the forward line either so um you know i i you know, speak to pete quite regularly and um you know i think that he knew as well that that it was going to be kind of changing the mentality um working on uh, you know things in terms of maybe shape um without the ball to start this year and then perhaps i think looking to, to you know really recast uh the squad uh, next year you know with the with the profile of players that that fits the way that he wants to play so yeah like you said results have been mixed and and performances have been good within games you know so there's been 10 15 minute periods where they played really really good football um then some of it where it hasn't um again you know it, injuries have, uh, have have hurt them as well but but this was always going to be the building i think towards next year so they're yeah they, they lost to um they lost to fukuoka uh, at the weekend uh, and they're playing them uh twice this next week as well so it's three matches in the quarterfinals of the league cup uh during this kind of international break as well so it will be good you know i mean if he if he did manage to to do well there and maybe go on to win that cup as well it's not the cup that gives you a ticket into asia but it's still um yeah it's still a, a cup and having you know they did lose to j2 opposition in the empress cup by the way um but yeah so you know i, I think that they'll focus on trying to do well we get through this um yeah get, get through these ties in, in the next week and then try to push on you know finish well in the league and if you could top it off with a cup it would be excellent as well scott you meant to mention that uh, Juan matter had signed with uh this kobe uh he's just a huge name in the world game obviously a world cup and european championship winner with spain not to mention his champions league and uh fa cup crowns with chelsea and manchester united um the old marquee player uh, syndrome. There's a lot of talk still in Australia about the need of it. I mean, when we watch J League, packed stadiums, uh, the television broadcast is significant. Uh, do they need marquee players in Japan anymore? Um, and what's the sort of impact a player like this has for the J League? Uh, and and you know, how do you describe the impact of a marquee player in in Japan? Yeah, well, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's different to the Australian context because it's not salary cap related um, as it is here. Um, but yeah, it, it's a very good question and a legitimate question and um, and one that applies right across Asia as well, not just uh, Australia and Japan. We've seen obviously what's happening uh, in Saudi, you know, kind of turn this whole concept uh, on its head. I mean, they've gone the very top of the, of the marquee tree that, that you can go pretty much. Um, and, and obviously, you know, with good, you know, established internationals below that. So, you know, they're not the same waters that um, that Japan and Australia are fishing. But the, the club I mentioned before, the owner of um, of Kobe, whereas a lot of the clubs here are owned by, you know, corporations or in some cases government organisations. This is pretty much one guy that runs. It's a little bit unusual case uh, in Japan. And and this guy's got a personal connection with Barcelona. You know, he's, he's one of these um, guys. And, and his company, Rakuten, was the shirt sponsor of Barcelona for a long time as well. So... Um, he's had he's had a long fascination with uh, with Spanish football. Obviously, it was where until um, very recently Iniesta was. So, you know, Iniesta left uh, last month, and uh, Mata's come in. So it's a kind of continuation of this um, of this theme, particularly that that the owner likes. Um, yeah, I mean, if we flip it to the Australian context, what I would rather see is, um, you know, maybe not the the Europeans at the end of their career coming in, but maybe some of the younger, we've talked about this endlessly, the younger uh, kind of players on the way up uh, from Asia. And, and okay, maybe that's not possible to get the the top uh, Japanese talents um, because they're going to Europe, but but there are still some, you know, that slip through the cracks. I mean, uh, Riku Danzaki, you know, he's yeah. now obviously back with Western United, but he had that good spell in Brisbane, in Brisbane Raw, you know, kind of that right age profile and, and still yeah. technically a very good player. I know he went back to Europe, but it didn't work out for him. Hopefully it does back at um, back at Western United this year. Um, but yeah, you know, some of these maybe younger players from Asia, I think would be the would be the way to go. But um, it doesn't seem to be the way I saw, you know, again, I saw, um, a, you know, Daniel Pena and these guys are, you know, I think we've spoken about this again, that the recycling of um, of foreign plays in Australia is something that really does my head in. It's like, 
you know, you can move beyond this. You don't need to sign, you know, someone that X club over there had and, and bring them. You only got, you know, 10 or 11 teams in the league anyway. So the, yeah, the thing about expanding your scouting networks, I think is, um, is a particularly relevant one for Australia. Having said, I mean, yeah, you know, Japan obviously, you know, brings in a lot of um, uh, kind of busted <laughs> kind of foreign players as well, but yeah, you know, names are always good. I don't know, you know, what level exactly um, Matar is at now, but you would think it's good enough still to play in the J League. Um, and um, and yeah, you know, it, it brings uh, it brings attention to the league as long as it's balanced. I know the salary for Iniesta was out of control. It was like, you know, not far off the the combined, um, you know, a lot of a, of a lot of other clubs, um, you know, for for just one player. So I don't know if that's like the guy wants a bankroll. It's sustainable, but um, if it's the right way to go about it, but um, yeah, you know, we we see obviously you see the the amount of young Japanese players that are going to Europe and and doing well. You know, I mean, someone like Mitomo, you know, now is one of the well, I think the the leading kind of players in the Premier Leagues. You know, a couple of years ago was in the J League. So the the players are still being produced here, which is a positive. So Japan doesn't need to do it maybe as much as uh, Australia. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, as Australia does. Now, in third place is Nagoya. We didn't sort of talk about Nagoya in the context of the title chase. Uh, they're Looks like they're six points off top at the moment. Yeah. Um, and obviously, Mitch Langerak, tell us about his season and um, um, do you empathise with many Socceroo fans who were scratching their head that Mitch didn't get that third spot at the World Cup um, after sort of making himself available again? But uh, it looks like he's had another wonderful season. Yeah, he's. I mean, he's, he's unbelievable. I mean... Um, you know, obviously don't watch a lot of the other keepers week in, week out, but I do with Mitch. And, um, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd struggle to to think that there's, you know, three better keepers than him um, in the form he's been in. I mean, he's, he's the, in my opinion, he's the best keeper in, uh, in the J League. He's probably the best keeper in Asia. And he has been at that level for, yeah, for four or five years. You know, it's not just a one-off um, thing. He's, he's incredibly consistent season to season uh, you know month to month match to match um and you know we we've done a fair bit with him you know on the asian game down the years and you know still i know he's not as young as he was but you know he's still dedicated to the craft and you know he keeps um keeps himself in very good condition off the pitch and is is incredibly dedicated to his training uh and, and the match day performances have been unbelievable as well you know i mean he's still in in terms of his shot stopping the command of his area you know the control um of the, the essentially play with the back, back three um, in front of him um, is as good as it's ever been. So, I mean, even now, you know, yeah, I mean, you know, maybe there, there were words said and, you know, who knows until there are changes somewhere that, that things may not happen. But, um, but yeah, you know, I think he can be, um, yeah, I, I, I would think that he's probably Australia's number one. But, uh, yeah, who knows if, if that's that's going to play out that way. And, and uh, like I said, I, I think the league's going to go right down the wire. So I think ramps are actually, actually still... Yeah, right yeah. in, right in with a with a real shot of it as well. Um, yeah, it's amazing. Um, just for our um, listeners in Australia uh, who might not be aware, goalkeepers are revered in uh, Japan, aren't they? They just absolutely love them. Uh, in it's one of the unique things about Japanese football, uh, club football. The goalkeepers are very, very popular. So, um, Mitch just must have iconic status at that club. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Having been there for so long, and obviously Australian, uh, you know. With the iconic thing with Josh Kennedy, you know, yeah. same kind of thing was there for a long time. Very influential player that went from him to Mitch. So it's been a long, um, yeah, long Australian connection at the club. And like you said, you know, yeah, I mean, if you compare it to some of the other Asian leagues, like you know, it's across here, Korea, for example, you know, foreign keepers aren't permitted in the league, and there's a few Asian nations like that. You know, they want to develop local keepers. So um, yeah, not not every Asian nation is open, you know, for keepers to come. But but to come here and to do so well, and and particularly. Particularly as a keeper operating not in your native language, and you know, I don't think you'll mind me saying I don't think Mitch's uh, Japanese is as probably That's as good as it could be after uh, six or seven years in the country. But um, you know, it's um, it's it's very important that, to have that kind of communication. But he's figured it out, and obviously, you know, in terms of the the simple, you know, commands, he's he's, he's on top of that kind of stuff. Um, but but to come here, yeah, and 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 having to communicate in a foreign language, I think I think it's very difficult. But we've seen the Korean keepers do it quite well. The language is. Not similar, but it's a little bit more similar than some of the others. So, um, you know, they tend to settle a little bit um, bit quicker. But to see, yeah, non-Korean kind of goalkeepers come here and, and do well, it's 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 kind of rare. And and for Mitch to be consistently excellent for so long, that's such a high standard, you know. And 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 like I really, it, it it's game after game after game, you know. And and to do it at that level, um, not just in terms of the keeping contacts, but I think he's been one of the best. Um, 
you know, probably Australian imports into a league in terms of the, the consistent level and the duration in which he's done it. Yeah, the longevity. You know, I, I think anywhere in the world, you know, to, to find someone who's been at a club and had the kind of impact that he's had. Absolutely. Now, just the last question from me before Willem jumps in again. Um, uh, into J2, uh, Machida Zelvia, who where Mitch Duke is, they're top of the table, nine points. Uh, they've got a game in hand. They look like they're running away with it. Um, just tell us about the influence that Mitch has had at that club and what can you tell Socceroos fans about um, how he's applied himself uh, in the J2 competition? Yeah, he's doing really well. And, and they're, they're another um, kind of curious club that um, they're kind of, I think technically they're in Tokyo, but they're, they're right on the right on the, um, the, the the very fringes of it, uh, deep, deep as dark as Tokyo. It's not the city lights that you see. Um, but but they came into a into a bit of money, um, some strong investment a couple of years ago, and and they really went all in this year. Um, they made a kind of curious decision to employ, a, I think we've spoken about this before, how popular high school football is here. And they actually took the kind of, uh, you know, one of the legendary figures of, of high school football and put him in charge of this team. And I believe he didn't have the licenses. So we have kind of a co-coach with someone. So he's kind of, ta- which was an experiment. Um, but they got, they got a lot of money and they bought a lot of players. A uh, yeah, Brazilian guy called Eric, um, who was at um, Marinos during the, when, when Ange and Pete and those guys were there, went across to China. He's come back, Mitch has come in. And yeah, I think, you know, it's no surprise in terms of the investment that they put into the club that they are where they are. Um, and yeah, they're, they're, like I said, they're in a very strong position to go up and, and Mitch, has, Mitch has been a key player for them. So it, it will be great to finally see him, uh, you know, if he sticks around um, in, in J1 next year and, and at a club, if they continue the investment, who could be one of these ones that, you know, we've seen before clubs come up from J2 and, and win the league, you know, the next year after. So a bit more investment and, you know, I think they're going to be a real player uh, if, you know, if they do complete the, the promotion. The league's expanding to 20 teams next year as well, which I, I don't know if you know. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think they could be a serious player uh, going forward. Scott, time flies. Could have asked you about Thomas Deng, who's stringing some good football together at Albirex Nagata. Stefan Mork, who's just struck a, a winner from the penalty spot down yeah. in the J2 with, with Okayama as well. I know you do a little bit of work with him on the Asian game from time to time as well. But we'll park those conversations um, for another day. It is great that the J-League is delivering once again, and we'll keep an eye on it in the run home. Hope for happy returns for Kev, Mitch, Pete, and all. So thank you once again for joining us, Scott. No worries, guys. Scott McIntyre from the Asian game there. Stick around on the other side. Rob and Derek will be back with Kiva O'Neill to chat Liverpool. Hey guys, it's footy finals time at Chemist Warehouse. Not the world game that we talk about, of course. But right now, you can shop and win big at Chemist Warehouse and go into the draw to win the ultimate footy finals experience. Willem, what would you describe as the ultimate footy finals experience if it didn't involve the world game? Uh, if you couldn't be there, you'd want to be having uh, some form of sort of barbecue with your friends, although that might tie in with our other live read. Um, I don't know, Rob, well, how would you describe it? I think maybe a barbecue with friends is probably a nice footy finals experience. I don't know whether it's the ultimate. Oh, we want the ultimate, the yeah, primo. I think the ultimate one involves tickets, flights and accommodation to either the AFL or NRL grand finals. Do you think that qualifies a little bit more than the barbecue in the backyard? Either? That sounds better. I reckon it does. Plus, there's over 100,000 in prizes to be won. All you've got to do, it's pretty easy. Just purchase any product online or in-store and go to chemistwarehouse.com.au. And of course, conditions to apply, but you've got to be in it to win it. Edge, that sounds like a pretty good competition to me. Uh, it sounds like a great competition to me. Um, and get down to Chemist Warehouse, get your entry in, and you might uh, not have a barbecue with Willem in his backyard, but be flying wherever you are to uh, either Sydney or Melbourne to see the NRL AFL Grand Finals, Rob. Absolutely. And as much as we love football, soccer, whatever you want to call it, we uh, also uh, love our uh, rugby league and Aussie rules footy too. So uh, that one day in September or October, as it sometimes is, is just a fantastic place to be. So get it to Chemist Warehouse, either in-store, online, and enter on the website. Chemist Warehouse, the great savings are every single day. Chemist Warehouse, Box to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box. Great chat with the boys. Talking to Scott McIntyre over there in Japan about the Australian coaches doing so well in the J-League. But uh, we... All the leagues in the world, but there's one that uh, that always captures our attention uh, when it's on, like it does the rest of the world, and that's, of course, the English Premier League. And I said off the top of the show, who would have thought that you would describe Liverpool um, 
as overachieving. But uh, there are some pundits uh, who had them falling out of the top four for a second season in a row after missing the Champions League. And uh, right now, they, uh, they are definitely one of the form sides of the competition. Jurgen Klock's got the boys at Anfield playing uh, as well as any team in the competition short of Manchester City and uh, and two teams they've beaten in the past week. Uh, of course, I speak of Aston Villa and Newcastle, who were meant to be the rising sides of the competition. They've dispatched those as well. Uh, someone who covers all of the action down at uh, Merseyside is the athletics, uh, Kiva O'Neill, and uh, we thought we'd get her on the line to have a yarn about it. How are you, Kiva? Yeah, very well, thanks. Thanks for having me. Is that fair to say that in, in, in some circles that um, that this start to the season was unexpected um, given some of the departures and, uh, you know, the fact that, uh, you know, there may have been some disruption with the Saudi money chasing Mo Salah? Yeah, definitely. I think the optimism right now, particularly after the, the game in Anfield against Aston Villa and the win, is so high among Liverpool fans. I think there's a lot to do with that as well. I mean, last season was pretty poor. Liverpool have now started well. And barring that Chelsea game and the draw, there is a real positivity there. And I think, um, for example, the deadline day signing of Ryan Gravenberg has been mm. a big catalyst for that as well because it just Liverpool needed another midfielder. They got one. Now, he didn't get another centre-back, yet you're watching Joe Gomez have probably one of his best games against Villa uh, for Liverpool in such a long time. I think, um, you know, given that Canarte and Van Dijk were both absent and Liverpool were able to get a clean sheet. There's loads of pockets of optimism everywhere you look. Uh, being one of them myself, Kiva, uh, it definitely feels like that. Um, the expectations were pretty low and I guess, you know, you sort of make uh, make up the stories that suit your own narrative when uh, when you have a bad season and, and think that, uh, okay, well, we've got uh, um, a, uh, a little more time to... Uh, to uh, to rest players, not playing in the Champions League, of course, um, they're playing in, in, in the Europa, which uh, which could potentially mean as much football. But uh, um, on to, uh, to Mo Salah, though. Uh, what, what were your feelings at the time? I was listening to a, a few podcasts uh, where some uh, some that uh, were uh, confident that, that he was never interested in this departure, that his, his own career and his own expectations of his own career are, are too high. That he that he wouldn't want to leave the top flight of the, uh, of, of world football right now um, just for the money. Did you were you worried at any point, and and do you feel that um, that he might be still um, a, a danger of leaving? I don't think the story is going to go away necessarily, and obviously I think the Saudi Arabia deadline for signings is later this week, so it's something that's going to probably rumble on. I think there's a you know a hope definitely among Liverpool fans that he will stay, and you know. Uh, when you look at his, his goal yesterday and his performance against Aston Villa and just how important and integral he is to Liverpool, I think losing him would be a massive blow given where they are. You know, they've got 10 points from their opening four games. I think it took them seven or maybe more games last season to even get into that um, rhythm. So, you know, they're definitely something's cooking and happening. And I think to lose Salah at this stage would be, I mean, just such a massive loss to Liverpool. I think Liverpool won't change their stance on the fact that he's not for sale. But then on the opposite side of that, I don't think Saudi interest is going to go away. And even if, you know, we do get past the end of this week and, um, you know, Salah's still at Liverpool and, and it's all gone away, I think it will come back. It'll re-emerge in January and then, you know, the summer after that, if, if not. So it's just something that's going to rumble on. I think we have to sort of maybe get used to that now that it's, you know, this is crazy money and it's going to keep sort of, you know, swaying and tempting and, and doing a lot of cross football. And I think for Liverpool and definitely fans, keeping Salah is so important. I think I read a stat that he's been involved in a goal in his last 18 games, whether that was at Anfield or in general. You, you know, he's just, his record is ridiculous. And I think to lose him would be a big blow in terms of how, how good Liverpool looked for the start of this season, what they could go on to achieve because there's a feeling at the minute, you know, going into the season, it was like, I think I said fifth and then I've kind of gone up fourth and then now I'm like watching them yesterday thinking, could it be third, higher? You know, there's this real sort of every week they sort of get better and obviously it's only been four games and a long way to go. But there is that that real optimism there and Sal is very much integral to that. What is, uh, what? What's Salah's mood on this? So he's someone that doesn't speak a lot 
uh, to the press or, or, or on social media. Um, we've obviously seen a little bit of discontent from him. You can read into that what you like in terms of not being happy, being substituted, etc. Seemed pretty pleased with his performance at the weekend, scored his goal, celebrated. Do you get the sense that he is still 100% committed to Liverpool um, or do you feel like um, in his mind he is thinking about a move now? I think Klopp was asked about this, wasn't he? I was reading um, and I think he said, you know, he, we didn't have a conversation about that, his commitment, but obviously he shows it on the training ground, on the pitch. I think you can see that from his his performances anyway, in general, always for Liverpool. He, that's how he shows his commitment to the club is, you know, scoring goals, assisting now. We know he's become a key playmaker for Liverpool, but very much on display yesterday as well. So I think in terms of Salah, I think one of the best things about him is that he doesn't do a lot of talking. You know, he, he does just, um, when he talks, you know, it's always great to listen to him. But he does just go about his business and scoring goals for Liverpool, not really um, focusing on, you know, all of the noise around him. He's just doing his job. So I think, you know, that's um, probably something that you'd expect would, would continue and we're probably not going to hear about him. I mean, there will be an interview at some point he'll be asked about it and probably talk about it. But, um, yeah, that's sort of how we've come to sort of, um, I guess, you know, experience Salah as um, a Liverpool player. He's just this sort of unassuming, quiet sort of character that, go, that on the pitch just comes to life and, and scores plenty and plenty of goals for Liverpool. Well, one thing that can't be denied is that since the title win, the, the, the shape of the starting eleven and the squad has moved on since you, um, uh, we spoke about it off the top. How do you see the regeneration of the team, you know, without the likes of uh, Henderson obviously moving on, uh, obviously for, for Mania and Mane along gone as well. There's McAllister, McAllister and Sob of Sly in midfield, you mentioned Ryan. Gavin Birch, uh, as well as the likes of Darwin, Gagpo and Diaz as well. I mean, is whether or not Mo goes now or goes later, I mean, is that clearly that these are the players the next generation will be modelled around? And are you excited about that? Yeah, definitely. I think there's so much excitement right now. And, you know, we, we might be talking and Liverpool had lost yesterday. Maybe the mood would be different. But I think in terms of the midfield itself, if you focus on that, and Sabasly has already won the fans over within four games. You know, people are like, finally, you know, a goal scorer in midfielder who just looks the business. And McAllister has just, you know, settled in straight away. Just looks like he's always been a Liverpool player. But obviously, he's got that Premier League experience in Brighton and obviously, you know, winning the World Cup of Argentina, what he's going to bring. And Endo, you know, the appearances from him so far, the cameo at Newcastle was very positive. And then, Still got grabbing back to come, so it just feels like that new um, transformation of a midfield. It's a new build almost, and it, it's looking well as well as you think of how young some of the players are, like Stefan Bajcetic, who really impressed last season. And you've got Curtis Jones, who played yesterday, still such a young player. Harvey Elliott. So it just feels like this young core of midfielders now. I think is McAllister maybe obviously over than Endo, one of the youngest at like 24 or something. So it's you know, there is that feel now that there's this sort of rejuvenation of Liverpool's midfield when last season a lot of the problems were Liverpool's midfield in games that just, you know, were being run through and not doing the job that it needed to do for the attacking line and for the back line as well. So it just feels like that is such a, an area of positivity at the minute for Liverpool. And then as you look around the team as well, you know, the players you've mentioned in attack like Darwin Nunes, Gakpo, Diaz, you've still got Jota there. You know, there is um, so much riches in terms of attack and um, outlet for Liverpool. So I think there is a, a real um, a real feeling that, you know, this is sort of the future now, but also, you know, a team that can go in and build and you can sort of keep adding players. It, it does feel a lot like Klopp's sort of next team almost, like his second squad, you know, like the transitions closer to being away from you know with the original team that he built yeah and just to comment on the general competitive nature of, of the league as well uh, you know obviously Liverpool have made a good start but you know every season now the league that Liverpool plays in seems to get harder and harder I mean even just taking Aston Villa 
the last opponents to have been spending a lot of money. You've obviously had Chelsea sort of buying every possible available player on the market. Newcastle United have burst in there in uh, the last season or two as well. Manchester United have been spending big, so have Arsenal. And obviously Manchester City kind of goes under the radar a bit, but they've been spending hundreds of millions too. So this isn't a case of just trying to improve the the squad per se. It's like if you don't do this, you're just fall behind. You know, standing still is falling behind, isn't it? I mean, is it just the reality now that, you know, teams like Liverpool in in that pocket behind, say, Manchester City, it's so imperative they get the signings right. And even then, that doesn't even guarantee that you're going to be successful. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, for over the past few seasons, at times there's been a frustration from Liverpool fans that they haven't seemed to sort of, you know, build off the success and really ensure that it stays for the future in certain moments. So key signings are, have obviously been signed under Jurgen Klopp, but sometimes there's been a feeling that, you know, there's not been um, transfer windows that have sort of done the job in terms of filling the gaps and holes and, you know, recruiting for the future, for the immediate future as well. Um, but this summer, I think the way it ended in terms of the deadline day signing and obviously four midfielders joining the club, just feels like the final, Liverpool finally sort of, you know, got the business done that they needed to in a transfer window. And I can't remember the last time it really felt like that. Maybe you go back to Liverpool signing Canate, felt like the last sort of, you know, key signing that they really needed to make. Um, obviously, without a centre-back in this window, but, you know, you, you're seeing uh, the performance from, you know, the third and fourth choice centre-backs yesterday. And then you've got Jarrell Quans at a Liverpool Academy graduate very much now, given that he's, you know, um, already made a couple, of appearances, I think, in the Premier League, and you know, it's become the fifth choice um, centre back for Liverpool so far this season. So, you know, I think there's definitely um, room for improvement going forward, and Liverpool will still need to make sure that they stay, you know, on the level of the likes of Man City and, um, you know, Arsenal, all those clubs that, you know, did so well last season when Liverpool were, were struggling so much, and you kind of looked at their signings and thought, you know, Liverpool did need a real shift in momentum and the squad, and that's happened this summer. Whether you know you thought that Jordan Henderson and Fabinho are both going to leave Liverpool, I don't think any of us thought that was going to happen. But actually, now looking back on it, it might be one of the best things that happened to Liverpool. Um, and I think towards the end of the season, we'll, we'll definitely have an answer to that. Well, hopefully for those of us who are of the red persuasion, you're right about that, Kiva. Before we let you go, I just want to take you off on a different tangent entirely. I was reading The Athletic earlier on today and uh, uh, and I read an article that, that, you, uh, that you wrote, um, headline, Why Are Chelsea Targeted With Homophobic Chants? And uh, uh, I was at Stanford Bridge back in 2018 and I remember going into the ground with my son and... Uh, and uh, we were we went to watch a Spurs away game on this particular occasion, and uh, and uh, I, I was quite shocked at the time to to hear some some anti-Semitic, really venomous anti-Semitic uh, uh, remarks uh, uh, in our direction as we were going into the away uh, fan section, and uh, um, and and some some of the the, the distasteful uh, chants that you, you've described. Uh, um, that are, uh, are are being directed at, at Chelsea right now uh, uh, seem to have really risen um, above the, the 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 sort of the general football uh, um, discourse. Uh, can, can you give our listeners just a brief insight into what's going on? Yeah, I think um, you can obviously read the piece on the Athletic. There's been a chant that's obviously been aimed at Chelsea fans and players for a number of years now, which is you know disgusting to be honest, and um, something that different um, fan groups of different clubs have worked to try and eradicate and it, you know the work that they have done has helped. I spoke to Paul um, Arman um, who is a, a Liverpool fan and, and runs the club's um, LGBT fan group cop out and you know he's done a lot of work to get Liverpool fans to stop singing that you know he um, did an interview with Jürgen Klopp and sort of went through why it's wrong and, and different things and you know, after that, you know, I spoke to him for this piece and he was saying, you know, then it does, it's all about education and educating people that, you know, this is wrong and why it's wrong and for them not to sing it. But obviously he was saying it's still a problem. 
Um, you know, there's a lot of problems in terms of, you know, chancy here at football grounds, and that's definitely, you know, one of them and um, really unwanted and just, yeah, distastefully speak to someone like Tracy Brown, who runs Chelsea's um, LGBT fan group. And, you know, um, she's saying that every, you know, every game she's sort of listen, like listening, waiting for it to happen. And that, that just makes me really sad to think, you know, that that's her experience of, of going to, to watch the team that she loves is that she's kind of in the back of her mind thinking about the chance that could be could be about to um, be aired and you know make her and many other pe- people feel um, uncomfortable and, and not at home and potentially you know their home football stadium so yeah this is um, important that it is um, educated on and hopefully we do move, move towards you know a future where things like this don't happen at football grounds because you know it's yeah it, it just it's grim really to be honest. Yeah, no. Look, you, you, the article is is excellent and a real insight. And uh, uh, and uh, as much as we, we love to talk about the good things about football and what goes on on the pitch, and uh, you know how well our teams are going, and uh, you know what what the rest of the season uh, holds for them, uh, these are the real life issues that um, that that we can't ignore. Uh, I mean, we uh, we just had the, a festival of football with uh, inclusion uh, overlaid throughout the Women's World Cup, but uh, uh, within two weeks of it, a a, a fan was found guilty and jailed for attacking a player um, in this very country um, at one of the very grounds that, that hosted those games. So uh, as much as football is uh, is a wonderful thing for all of us, um, it, uh, it doesn't absolve us from having conversations about the tough things. So uh, so um, well done on, on uh, publishing that article, Kiva, and, um, and thanks for joining us to, to talk about, you know, a, a quite a wide-ranging uh, subject matter uh, in, our, in our chat today. No, an absolute pleasure to get on. I know we've, we've been trying to get this um, over the line for a while, so yes. we're really happy to uh, be a guest finally. Yeah, absolutely, Kiva. We we love reading your, your work in The Athletic and we encourage uh, our listeners to start with that article that we've referred to. Kiva O'Neill from The Athletic, uh, do yourself a favour and subscribe if you haven't already and start with uh, one of Kiva's articles. Okay, stick around after the break. World Cup Corner on box to box Willa, willa, willa. Everybody's going to buy Hoyt Spices. Everyone's going to save a dollar or two. Everybody's going to buy Hoyt Spices, yeah. Now, Hoyt's flavor packed meals. That's what uh, we talk about every week on this show. And, and I, I just love cooking. Uh, I cook pretty much every single week, whether it's uh, Mediterranean, whether it's Asian, whether it's just a good old Aussie barbecue it's one of my favourite things to do, and there's very, very rarely a meal, Michael, where I don't include some sort of herb or spice because, you know, we want to be healthy. We don't want to put too much salt on our food, and if you want flavour in your food without being unhealthy, then you can put a little salt in, but herbs and spices are the way to go. What, what, what do you recommend? Graham Arnold might have been preparing for his trip to Mexico in the uh, supermarket aisle because, you know, you obviously need to acclimatise. Well, he's mm. actually going to Dallas, isn't he, to, yes. uh, to play in Mexico? But it, it's mm. a bit like playing Mexico in Mexico. Mm. Now, they've got plenty of Mexican food. Do you reckon he sort of had the, you know, the spice mix and the chilli going in some of his cooking? Well, how, how could you in... possibly make a taco without spices? Exactly. So I just wonder whether Graham's been doing a bit of that in Sydney, preparing for his trip, just to acclimatise his own mm. taste buds for the, yeah. when he's in Dallas uh, playing the Mexicans. No, I, I think that's exactly what I do. Willem, do you like tacos? Very much so, or burritos, or whatever form they take, Rob. It's all yeah. uh, it's all similar as long as you get those spices in. Yeah, and all you need is red pepper flakes, chilli powder, sea salt, garlic powder, and onion powder. They're the keys, you know, when you get those uh, those taco kits. Yeah, they're good, but uh, if you want to make it at home, it's nice and simple. You can uh, do it uh, yourself and, and buy the shells and get all those spices paprika oregano dried oregano if you've got them in in the uh, the pantry you can make them yourself every single time get that that um, beef mince in the in the fry pan with uh, some onion and then put the spices in probably half a cup of water just to get a bit of fluid in there as well and make you, you get use, the best you can use tacho. chicken you can use uh, chicken pork, pork. I love, nothing like a good pork taco Oh, I love it, and uh, make some nice guacamole. Um, yeah. There's a, there's a, a really salsa good salsa, and uh, yeah, that's there's it. all sorts of different uh, flavored um, salsas that you can get these days, and uh, just mm. absolutely. Oh, well, it sounds well, like you and I. 
are, are um, are loving our tacos. And Willem, do you ever make them at home? Yeah, very much so, Rob. With the uh, the exact recipe that you've just described, just goes down an absolute treat. Exactly. So remember to refill your empty spice jars with Hoyt's value packed. You'll be happy with Hoyt's at Coles, Woolworths, and all good independent supermarkets. Fill those empties with Hoyt's spices, yeah. Box to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box. Enjoyed the show so far, listening to the boys, talking to Scott McIntyre earlier on and chatting to the lovely Kiva O'Neill about uh, Liverpool and a few other issues, uh, important issues uh, in the world of football. But we're going to bring it home with the World Cup corner as we do, even though the next World Cup is a little off in the distance, Willem. But um, you've always got a couple of tidbits to, to have a yarn about before we wrap it up. Yeah, we're going to stick with the women's game, Rob, and I think it's well worth giving a shout-out and a congratulations to Mark Torcaso, who's had a huge 12 months. He's cut his teeth over the past few years with the Calder Women's Program and the Western United Development Squad. He then took the senior women's team in their first A-League women's uh, season to a grand final. He's still in that job, and... By the way, he's also still in his job as a school teacher, but he's now been appointed as Alan Stachich's successor to the Philippines national team job. So he's going to be doing uh, the Ricky Herbert juggle edge. Remember when he was coaching uh, the Wellington Phoenix and the New Zealand national team as well. So yeah, well done, Mark. Angie Beard and Jackie uh, Sawicki, two players that he's overseen at, at Western United and now into the national team as well. So yeah, as I say, a huge 12 months continues to get uh, bigger for Mark Torcaso, who was excellent with his time when he joined us uh, in semi-final week of the A-League women's as well. He certainly was. What I noticed about uh, that appointment when he said in one of the uh, articles where he was interviewed that when they first called him, he thought it was a spam call. He thought it was a joke. And then uh, he had to do a little bit more research and realised it was true. So, uh, yeah, quite an interesting one. There's a whole cast of um, sort of Victorian football luminaries uh, that are are going to be helping uh, Mark uh, Torcaso over there. Obviously, Andre Durante and uh, Sinisa Hohadik, who's the technical director at South Melbourne, in the junior program, uh, he's involved in that as well. So, yeah, um, it's a, just another another um, milestone and achievement for Australian football, Willem. Um, yeah, it's amazing that uh, people from uh, other parts of the world are, are looking to our shores for inspiration and talent. We've seen how quickly the Socceroos squad's changed over the past nine or so months since the World Cup, and the 23 Matildas that we've known and loved over the past month or so will be seen in time, as a moment in time. They're going to fragment and change and and move forward. And a couple of players that were perhaps in and around the periphery of that squad but didn't make the ultimate cut are on the move ahead of the new A-League women's season edge. A couple of players that you uh, manage and work with very closely. So firstly, Melina Ayres is on her way to the Newcastle Jets, such a, an instrumental figure at the victory over many years. Why has that move been made? Uh, six years, Melina spent at Melbourne Victory. She wanted a new challenge um, and an opportunity to press her claim for Matilda. She's going to work with Gary Van Egmond, who's uh, been in the Matilda setup uh, at different times in his career. Uh, she likes to surf. Uh, it's a new part of the country to uh, get some waves and uh, enjoy the lifestyle between playing football and and uh, and her downtime away from the field. So, yeah, Molina's taking up a new op- op- opportunity after six years at Melbourne Victory. Very hard decision. Always extremely um, difficult when uh, players who are much loved at a club and um, very successful decide to move on. Uh, and Rachel's, uh, yeah, just looking to have a very good season, um, get an opportunity to be coached by Jeff Hopkins, crossing over from Sydney FC to Melbourne Victory. There's a lot of changes at Sydney FC. Rachel had a fantastic... This is Rachel Lowe. Rachel Lowe, yeah. Combination to her season in Sydney. She obviously was the best player in the uh, uh, in the grand final uh, in their triumph. Um, yeah, so she's looking to have a great year. She's had um, some up and down health issues the last couple of years that have impacted her a little, her output a little bit. So uh, they're a bit behind her now. She'll have a great year and uh, hopefully uh, get an opportunity in Europe. Uh, after a big season at Melbourne Victory. So, yeah, two of my players on the move. That doesn't happen very often, but um, two players of that stature moving clubs in the A-League women's competition is obviously fairly newsworthy. And, yeah, and I just hope um, the success those players have had continues at the new clubs. And Derek, while we're naming squads, the England squad is in ahead of the resumption of the European Championship qualifiers. And I know you want to unpack that in good solid depth in stoppage time. But have you got a headline inclusion or an exclusion that you'd like to uh, you'd like to get away now? 
Yeah, well, yes, unfortunately or, un or unfortunately, international football is back. I always feel like the Premier League season is uh, cut off when we're just starting to get into it. But yeah, there are a few names in the squad that I was um, surprised about, including one person who's playing in the Saudi League, which I didn't expect. So yeah, join us for join us for stoppage time and see whether we think Jordan Henderson is worth his value in this England squad. Willem? Look forward to it, Derek. Rob? Yep, absolutely. We will. Okay, well, let's wrap it up there. Well done, Willem. Um, good show, buddy. Thank you very much. Catch you uh, midweek for stoppage time. Edge, um, you're going to get back into the streets of Bangkok and enjoy well, uh, a nice uh, stir-fry dinner in a, a little market somewhere? No, I actually think I'm going to have a tuna salad uh, made in my kitchen tonight, Rob. Just mm -hmm. got a little bit of work to do. Don't have a lot of time to zip down into the... Uh, the little laneways of Bangkok at the bottom of my apartment building, but now I'll um, mm. kind of whip up a tuna, bit of good, bit of feta cheese, nice olive oils, nice. and, and some herbs, the hot spices that you took yeah, over. Herbs, Just yeah. watch out for those kids in the garage, mate. We know what happened last time you played with a little. Uh, um, uh, catch I slipped up over and hurt me back when when I went for a slide tackle on the concrete. Yeah, they they, they kids they actually play with bare feet mm. on the concrete, and I can tell you what, it's not like concrete in Australia. It's a bit up and down over here. Yeah, be, just be careful, Derek. Thank you. No problem, Jens. And Adam, thanks again, Adam Maloney, for pressing the buttons and making sure the podcast comes together as it does. So, well, please subscribe to box to box Stoppage Time and Offside, wherever you get your podcasts. Tweet us at box to box nts and follow us on X. Make sure you like us on Facebook as well and join us throughout the week as our podcast drop and we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the world game.